Hello, friends. Welcome to worship again today. And uh, before we start the sermon today, I'd like to introduce or reintroduce to you a good friend of mine, a man by the name of Jan Bazuk. We've done life together for um, many, many years, uh, going back to when we were both in our 20s and working in Poland together. Jan lives part of the time in Rockford, Illinois, and some of the time in both Poland and Ukraine. And uh, Jan, thanks for being with us here at First Christian Church again today. It was kind of a privilege when we got to do life together. You were in Ukraine and Poland recently. Your family is still in Poland, and I just want to know what's going on over there right now. From your understanding, here it is on Friday, March 4th, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. What's going on? Uh, yeah, I was just there uh, in January, right before everything started. I returned back home here to Rockford, but uh, spent time with uh, friends, Christians in Ukraine and in Poland, and uh, it's it's not good. It's pretty bad. There are lots of tears. Uh, uh, many refugees, uh, both in Poland and, and Slovakia, maybe even in, in Romania. But there are some refugees in the western part of Ukraine as well that we that we help. Um, the Roma people that, as you know, I work with, we translate the Bible for them. But it's pretty bad. The Civilians are dying, uh, soldiers are dying, buildings, civilian buildings are being destroyed and, and there's shortage of food and medicine and, and everything. So it's pretty bad. When you say Roma people, you're referring to what we would commonly say gypsies, though I know that's perhaps not the best way to describe it any longer. And yes. uh, you, have, you actually have family members and um, fellow peers who are involved in the churches that are if you will, helping the people stream as they stream across the border into Poland, correct? Yes, I have my family that is helping and, and many pastors, my friends uh, in Poland are helping. They're opening the churches. They move the pews away, you know, for, from where they usually stand and, and, and uh, they put mattresses and beds and, and, and people come and, and uh, stay there for now. People open their homes and, and it's just amazing. We have over 500,000 refugees now in Poland from Ukraine and no refugee camps. You know, people just stay in churches and, and, and other buildings and private homes and people renovate uh, places that they don't use and, and just uh, use for this purpose. It's, it's just amazing food and clothes and all need, you know, the people need are just uh, flowing, you know, to churches and people just uh, help. I know from conversations we've had prior to this recording that we have you and I have friends over there who have trucks that we helped supply years ago and part of all of that. And what are they do, using those trucks for that we helped get them or at least the start of that whole process? You know, like we pack the trucks and they go closer to the border where the, you know, where refugees can cross. So like they'll need uh, first need, you know, supplies. So we, we provide this for them as they cross the borders and, and you know, food and, and diapers and other stuff. Uh, uh, water and then we use other trucks or buses to bring them you know deeper into Poland Warsaw and other other places it's just amazing how uh, I get emotional but Jan your family's story is one where you faced this many years ago during World War II your grandfather I know and it just seems so too closely reminiscent of all of that Yes. I mean, I'm not war analyst. I'm not, you know, political analyst, but I know we have to help the people. Yeah. Well, please know that as this video comes to an end today, 
we will be praying for you and your role there and the way in which the people of First Christian Church can help. And um, we pray that God's grace and peace would be upon you as you, in some ways, become our boots on the ground. Yeah. And, you know, this is going to be long-term thing. It's not going to just end in a week. And, and you know, we, now people get emotional and involved. Uh, but these refugees will need help long-term. And, and I just pray that we won't forget. God's grace and peace, Jan. Thank you, Wayne. Thank you for calling. Our world is in desperate, desperate need of the work of Jesus Christ and the peace of God Almighty. And uh, I'd, th I'd say the best way we'd step into that today would be people of prayer. And so I'd like to pray with you. Uh, Jan and Leslie and I and his family have done ministry and life together for decades, back, going back to the um, mid-80s. And so I trust him with my life, actually. He's, we had to at some points when we were working in Eastern Europe. So... Um, I invite you to pray for what's going over there. As a matter of fact, let's do something. If you're physically able, uh, would you consider kneeling? And let's uh, implore heaven for some peace in Ukraine and Poland, okay? And Russia. Let's pray. Father, we as a congregation, scattered in many places now between auditoriums and online and literally, I suppose, around the world, We are overwhelmed with horror at the terror that's taking place in Ukraine. We're overwhelmed with the number of Russian soldiers who've been killed and the families in Russia that now face horrendous grief. We're horrified at the number of Ukrainians who've been killed and the desperation that's in that nation The UN, Lord, has told us there's 1.5 million now have crossed the border into Poland. And how are they going to be fed, God? How are they going to get help? And how are they going to, where are they going to go? It's, um, it's a setting, God, that we know the only way this is going to be resolved is with the peace of Jesus Christ. So we pray that that a peace that had come from heaven would land on that space, would land on the leaders involved, that sense and righteousness would come into play. As Jan says, we are not war analysts, we're not political analysts, we are your people living in central Illinois and for the most part, and we wonder how we can impact. Well, we know that this prayer today has an impact. Save people's lives, we pray. May the cause of Christ be lifted up as Christians help and step in and come to the aid of many kinds of people of all kinds of different nationalities. We pray that the work that Prime Minister Bennett of Israel has done in the last 24 hours would have some impact. God, we're more than a week into this now, and we pray that by the time we gather again in this building next weekend that there'll be some new answers. Matter of fact, we pray for that today. In Christ's name, amen, amen. Thank you, friends. If you'd like to um, 
uh, we, we're, we, we already sent some money on your behalf, okay? So when I was talking with Jan on Friday, he was headed over to, um, there's a way in which you can still get, at that point on Friday, we can still get money into Western Ukraine. So he sent some money on your behalf uh, to some pastors there to, for, so that they could use that to simply buy food. And as he said, diapers and medical supplies. So I was in the office by myself and I just made an executive decision. I'm sending money and we'll figure out how we pay for it later. <laughs> Frankly, we've got the reserves, so we, t we sent it. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. So we've got, we have the money in reserve. So I want to say thank you for being a generous congregation because of your generosity. In moments of crisis like this, we're in a place to help. If you'd like to help further, we've got some ideas for the days ahead, you can do that. And I don't like to do two offering appeals in one service, but here we are today. So if you'd like to help out, go online, um, mark in the other line, mark Ukraine, and 100% we'll, we'll, of that will go to Ukraine, and we'll figure out how to get it there in the days ahead, as long as the avenues uh, remain available. If not, we'll send it to Poland, and they can help the refugees coming across the border. We've got, we have people on the ground there so, that we know. So we'll be in touch with that. Or you can put something in the box. Whatever, however you want to get it to the church, just mark it Ukraine, and we'll go on accordingly. So with that, let's step into a sermon time. For those who don't know, you, know me, my name is Wayne. And I've been my privilege to be part of the pastoral team here for a long time. And it is good to have you here, here in the West and in the East, and everybody online as well. And uh, Brian's been preaching the last few weeks, and so it's good to be back in the pulpit today. Um, I want to start by inviting you to take your Bible, please, and turn to John chapter 3. If you're online, there's a place, there's a tab there that you could find John 3. There are, pews, there are Bibles in the pews and on the tables, and also uh, maybe you've got it on your smartphone. We'll read in just a few minutes from John chapter 3, perhaps the most famous chapter in Scripture. But to get into it, I want to introduce you to a home that's for sale in North Carolina. It has some attention to me. It's, this is how it's described in its listing. It's 2,500 square feet, four bedrooms, two baths. It's a two-story house with honey-hood shiplap, they say. And in the brochure, it says, not the Chip and Joanna Gaines kind, but the built-in 1900 kind, all right? It has a cozy stone fireplace, built-in windows that are very large that allow the lush forest to shine through. The daughter of the couple who owned the home until their recent deaths has also said there are lots of hidden storage places throughout the house which make great places for children to play hide-and-go-seek. There's an outdoor stone patio with space for a fire pit. There's an outdoor dining and lounge furniture, things all set up there. It has never been uh, uh, extended since it's been built um, back in the 30s, but it has been recently remodeled 17 years ago, if you will. What's of interest to this, to me about this house, it is literally just up the road from what Leslie's mother's family would call the family homestead in the mountains of North Carolina. I mean, you drive past that house that we've stayed in, and you go on up another quarter of a mile, and they're in the forest, so there's not a lot of houses there, and you get to that house. And um, when I heard this was available for a mere $600,000, <laughs> but nonetheless, I thought, Leslie, should we buy this house and kind of bring the whole you know, the Wilson Rice clan with a few Kents added in and say, let's, be part, let's have a house there and we could have it in the mountains. People could use it. We could, we could maybe rent it Airbnb except and help pay for the mortgage or whatever. After all, maybe people would pay a premium to stay in this house. Here's why. It's Billy Graham's home. 
That's right. Do you think people would pay a premium so they could say, I sat at the desk where Billy Graham wrote sermons. I'm sitting at the kitchen table. I don't know. I don't think we're going to do it, but it caught my attention for a bit. Yeah. And I found it interesting because of the passage of Scripture we're looking at today, because it was Billy Graham who brought the focus of our sermon today, the term born again. I think it was Billy Graham, you could say, who brought that language, that terminology, into the American lexicon. His crusades and preaching always ended with a call for people to cross the line of faith, to go from non-Christian to Christian, from non-believer to believer, from, as uh, Scripture says, from dead in their sins to alive in Christ, and to be born again. And Billy Graham would use the words of Jesus to describe this process of moving from non-believer to believer. His call for action at the end of his worship services always included the stadium choir standing to sing, and they would stand to sing, and people would be called out of the stands, and they would come by the hundreds of thousands over his career, as a matter of fact, by the millions, and they would stream down to the front of that stage, and they would meet somebody, and they'd pray, and he'd always say, come, if, you, if you're with your family, please come, they'll stay and wait for you. If you came on a bus, because there were lots of charter buses, if you came on a bus, they'll wait for you, and so forth. And the choir would sing, and every service that they did that in, they sang the same song. Do you remember? Some of you may have seen this on television years ago. Youngsters go, I've never, don't even, Billy Graham, who's that? But now I'll tell you. They would sing these, this, these lyrics, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bids, that thou call me to come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. And they came by the millions during his you know, his ministry career, 3.2 million people, catch that, 3.2 million people stepped forward at the end of his services and said, I want to move from non-believer to believer. Do you know that song, Just As I Am? Some of you might know it. Les is going to come and we're going to do it together here. And because uh, we're going to use it later on during the worship service and I want to make sure you know it. So we want to teach it to you now, Okay. Those of you who know it, you need to sing loud because I promise you there's people here uh, maybe who are new to faith or younger who don't know. There's the first of your rehearsals. All right, one more time. Just as Thank you. 
So you got it ready for next for a few minutes from now, okay? Because we're, we're going to see what we could, if we can unpack not only what Billy Graham was talking about when he suggested people be born again, but also, more importantly, what did Jesus mean when Billy Graham used Jesus' words? We hear the term born again these days, and I don't know that we fully... Do, do you know what that means? I, I mean, I know that sometimes born, being born again means you're part of an evangelical voting block within the nation, and, and that's about as much as we might know about it. But this business of being born again is actually language that Jesus used. And if we're here in this Lenten season, looking at the words of Jesus and saying, what, what are the words that in Bibles are written in red that are the words of Jesus? And he says, be born again. We're going to read it then what did he mean by that? So let's read from John chapter 3. And if you're reading from a pew Bible here in the building, I noticed last night in the worship service, it's not in red. Obviously, we didn't spend enough on the pew Bibles. <laughs> we have to go back and review this in the future. Why? We? But nonetheless, John chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are, and here's this language that Billy Graham grabbed a hold of, unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should be, not be surprised at my, pardon me, I'll say this again. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. So here's the skinny on this story, okay? This is very early in Jesus' public ministry. Within just the few, first few months of when he's going to say, I'm going to be a rabbi, I'm going to be, tell people about a new approach to spirituality. And people are beginning to notice that he's got something. They're, they're watching, they're paying attention. And one of the people paying attention is a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was one of the religious leaders in the nation. And when I mean religious leaders, he was a recognized religious politician coming out of Jerusalem. And he was part of a small group that had federal authority over Jewish matters of life and religion. In other words, he was well-placed, he was well-financed, and he was certainly well-educated. You couldn't be in that very small group of men unless you were well-educated. And yet, here's this well-educated man with lots of deep spirituality who is unable to grasp Jesus' new approach to spirituality. And he's self-aware enough to say, this guy Jesus he might have something that, um, he might have a thing or two that I could learn. I'm willing to learn. And Jesus then kind of flabbergasts the guy and says, you've got to be born again. Nicodemus says, I, I don't get what you mean. In 21st, 21st century language, you say, you mean I've got to be an embryo all over again? I've got to go through conception? And, and How does that work? I love that Scripture records Nicodemus asking questions of Jesus. Because the fact that he asks questions indicates that we can ask questions about our spirituality. And at times within the church, questions have been squashed down. And I think that, that's not helpful. Questions are valid and right, 
And if they're spoken in honesty and transparency, let's deal with the questions. If you've got questions about faith, I'd say that's got to be celebrated. We'll come to that in just a minute. Jesus responds to Nicodemus' questions by saying, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. So Jesus says to this guy of pretty, he's well known throughout the country, be born again. So what did he mean? Because in our nation, when we hear born again, it always is tied to, to these elections, as I said, and I think we've, we've lost the meaning. Apparently, according to Jesus, it has something to do with water and spirit. Hmm. We understand birth of water. Here's what I mean. Maybe you watched the Super Bowl a couple weekends ago. One of the Rams players, Van Jefferson, had an excellent game. He had four receptions during the game, and everybody was celebrating that. And um, ESPN, however, told the story of his, of his situation in the game afterwards. See, his wife, Samaria, isn't that a great name? His wife is Samaria. She was at the game as well, supporting her husband. They're a young couple in their mid-20s. They are high school sweethearts. And she was determined to be at the game, but she left the game halfway through the game on a stretcher. Why is that? Well, here's what she had to say according to The Athletic. Just like any other game, I'm going to be there this Sunday. This is leading in the days leading up to it. And I'm going to stay calm and pray to God that my water doesn't break. I am 100% going to be there. I'm not going to miss this moment for anything. So she gives, she says, she gives two figures. I'm going to be 40 weeks pregnant at the Super Bowl, and I'm supporting my husband 100%. Well, you know how the odds go on something like that, right? Sure enough, she went into labor, her water broke, and she made the game officials and the team officials, you can't tell Van. He's got to play the whole game regardless of the fact that I'm going to the hospital to have the baby. And so there's video footage of what happened after the game as he's on the field celebrating this massive win as a Rams player, and he learns there's something even more important than the Super Bowl. Watch this. And there's more further footage of him literally sprinting out of the locker room area and off to some way to get over to the hospital quickly. Her water broke. Next thing you know, he has a new son. We get that sort of water birth. But what's this business that Jesus says you've got to be born of the water, born of water, and of the Spirit? We understand the water. But how do you know if there's something similar taking place, breaking within you, if you will, that's going to lead to a spiritual birth? Well, I want to answer that for myself. I, I, I don't want to prescribe for you, but I'm going to describe for me, all right? I can identify at times when the Spirit of God is working within me, because usually when that's happening, there's a, a feeling way down in my gut, saying, you've got to do this. This is, 
or you've got to say this, or you've got to respond this way, because down here it is true. And again, that's, a, that's not a prescription for you, that's a description of me, because I would acknowledge that for some people that's not very helpful. After all, how would you know if it's down in your gut if it's the Spirit of God versus some indigestion from some hot spicy meal that you ate three helpings of last night? I mean, there is, how do you know the difference, right? Well, in one word. In one word, the answer to being born of the Spirit of this is acknowledgement. I'll tell you a story that um, might bring some understanding here. A long, long time ago, in a land far away. I mean, tr true, my story is from a long time ago in a far, far, far land away. So let me start it up, let me start again. A long, long time ago, in a land far away, two ancient Christian missionaries were making their way through what we now know as Greece, modern-day Greece. And their goal was this, tell the story of Jesus to anyone who will listen. And these two guys got to a city, and while in the city, they ran afoul of the law. And the long story is that these two champions of our story, two guys by the name of Paul and Silas, they ended up in the local jail. And um, in fact, it you say, well, you get arrested, you're going to get a hot meal on a cot. No, they didn't get that, okay? They, get, they actually found themselves sitting on the floor with their feet bound in stocks. And uh, they're there, and sometime as, as the hours go by, it gets to midnight. And at midnight, they decide to do something that I don't know that I would have done, but they start to sing. I'd be praying, getting out, God, get me out of here. At midnight, the story goes this way. They are singing praises to God. And... Uh, in the midst of their worship, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. Now, the local sheriff deputy who was in charge of the jail, the jailer, he was in trouble because he expected the prisoners to all escape. And he was gonna, about to kill himself because he thinks, I'm going to face the authorities in the morning. I'm going to be executed for all these people escaping. But the prisoners didn't run off. By the way, did I tell you the stories in the Bible? Acts chapter 16. And so the sheriff's deputy, the jailer, is so overwhelmed at the earthquake, this divine moment, and the prisoners' responses that they didn't run off, that he immediately asks, Acts chapter 16, what do I have to do to be saved? What do I have to do to be born again? And Paul and Silas reply this way. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. That was it. Be saved by believing in the Lord Jesus. And the scripture tells us that the jailer did that. He acknowledged that the story of Jesus was true. Now sadly... Us Christians, in the years since then, we've made becoming a Christian much more complicated since the days of long, long ago and far, far, far away. And some, some of us know all sorts of codifications about what it means to believe in the Lord Jesus, and countless, hundreds, thousands, I would suspect millions of books have been written, applauded, and discussed, and dismissed, and rejected, and reviewed, and like you, I've read a bunch of them. And some of us know some really cool notions, things like the sinner's prayer or the Roman road and the four spiritual laws and bracelets that have green, red, black, 
and white beads on them. And fine, all of those are helpful at times, and we could spend worship service after worship service sort of explaining them all. But for today, though, I want to ask you this question that will help you learn if you've been born again in the way in which Jesus is referring to in John chapter 3 and what the Philippian jailer responded to. What's your answer to this question? Do you believe, do you acknowledge Jesus is God's son sent to earth to provide you with forgiveness of sins and to lead you through life? If you believe that, you're a follower of Jesus. You've been born again. In other words, is Jesus your Savior and Lord? Is he your forgiver and your king leader? Being born of the Spirit is, to, is this process of accepting God's forgiveness in Jesus, followed by an allegiance to Jesus as the king and leader of our lives. Where do you land in answer to that question? And I know there's all kinds of variations depending what church you're in and all that sort of stuff, but where do you land in response to that question? Can you emulate the sheriff in the story I just told you? See, right after saying, I believe, I acknowledge the truth of what you're saying about Jesus, the scripture tells us that he got baptized. And I want to talk about baptism in a minute. But before we chat about that, I have an observation about how this man went through this process, what Nicodemus did. Nicodemus is asking questions. And Jesus says, be born again. And we said that the questions from Nicodemus validate our questions. And I find that very helpful because of this task of preaching that I've had now for many years. Because like many other congregations, we, we focus on the great moments of celebration when we see somebody go from faith to non-faith, whether, whether it be as an adult or when they're children, um, an individual goes from non-belief to belief and then on to baptism. And we love those stories around here where you take video of it every time it happens. And, um, but what about besides those sorts of celebrations? Are there other points of, of questions being asked that should be celebrated? Let me see if I can explain it this way uh, with something that some of you have seen me do before. But this, this metaphor has shaped my preaching for, for years. You can see this line of tape right here, right? This, this, this is, this is, there's nothing fancy about this ladder. It literally came out of the maintenance closet in the back hallway, okay? But here's this line of, line of tape right here, and all these other things, I don't know what they are. But nonetheless, I, we put this line of tape here. If you are going from belief to non-belief, let's call that the line of faith. For some of you today, you're right below being calling yourself a Christian, and you're going to go across the line. I'm not even on the camera, guys. Oh, there I am. Do you want to see how high I can go? Maybe I won't go that high. But nonetheless, my point is, for some here today, you are going to go across the line of faith, but, and, and we always celebrate that. I hope some of you today come to an understanding. I want Jesus Christ to be in charge of my life. I want to rely on him for, for my forgiveness of sins. And we're going to celebrate that. And maybe the next time you'll take the next step and you'll be get baptized. That's all really good. But can I, can I tell you, I've got this understanding that the amount of energy that it takes to go from this rung to this rung, all those, this, these rungs are all equidistant. And we fail to remember that sometimes the amount of energy that is required for someone to go from absolutely no interest whatsoever in the things of Christ to beginning to ask questions. 
And if you're with us today or online with us today and you've just started asking questions, I want to say congratulations. Yes, the goal is to get you across this line of faith. Absolutely. I don't want to, don't want to mislead you. But the fact that you're asking questions, congratulations. Because if you keep asking questions, you come to here where you have to make a decision. Now some people say no. But my conviction is this. majority of people, when faced with the realities of Jesus Christ and his work in their lives and his work in history, will step across the line of faith. So, so I would say this. Wherever you are, whatever rung you're on, congratulations if you're making an effort to move up. Some of you are already over the line of faith. But Jesus' kingship and lordship in your life would ask you to move higher. What are you doing about that? For example, if you are following Jesus' statements in the scripture throughout this sermon series called Written in Red, the expectation is you're not only going to read, but you're going to do something about it. If you've crossed the line of faith and haven't been baptized, why not? That's what Jesus did, right? If you've had questions like Nicodemus and found belief in Jesus, then it's time for the next, regardless of where you are. If you've got questions, it's time to do what Nicodemus did and take the next step up, take the next step up. For some, that means moving from belief, non-belief to belief. For others, it means you're going to go even higher. So to bring this home today, I'd like to go back, if we can, to Billy Graham. We said that Billy Graham would always have a large choir singing that hymn at the end of his worship services, and people would come to the front of the stage for a chat and a prayer with him. They called them counselors. Frankly, they were lay people from the local community. And um, the hymn simply provided a um, form for some self-examination. And so we're going to do something similar today. I, I'd suggest that we could take a moment and simply do some self-examination. So the worship team is coming, Alyssa's coming as well, and we're going to see if we can't sing this hymn together again. And I'd invite you, in the midst of the hymn, to ask this question. Is Jesus Christ the leader of my life? Have I relied on him for the forgiveness of my sins? Has, um, has my life reflected a decision to follow him? So let's sing at least, start with the first verse and we'll go from there. Just as I the Spirit of God kind of welling up within you. When we go to church, it's one thing to go to church and say, praise be to God. But if we're people on this journey of rising closer and closer to what devoted followers of Jesus Christ, as we say around here, then what is the Holy Spirit of God saying, I want you to do, how I want you to be? For some, maybe it's to cross the line of faith today and say, yep, I'm going to call myself a Christian from now on. 
or is it the way in which we live our lives? Let's sing the next verse because the next verse says that, um, gives really good news that even in the process of asking questions and praying, like that first verse being a prayer, uh, God responds. Let's sing it together. Just as I pray for you. Lord, I thank you that you sent Jesus Christ and that uh, by acknowledging him, and Lord, I, 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 we get to say we're born again, and I know there are all kinds of theological this, that, and the, and the other that, are, that play into that. But Lord, for some here today, I simply need to say, I'm moving from non-faith to faith. Lord, thank you that that involves the forgiveness of their sins. It involves heaven's eternity and all that sort of stuff. But for today, it means they're acknowledging that Jesus is working in their lives. Lord, for others of us, it's a, a decision to get baptized. For others, Lord, that was many years ago. And uh, it means that we're going to live differently this week. Your Spirit is speaking to us right now. May the people of this community and the community, Lord, where everybody is joining us from online, um, may we be your people because of the work of your Spirit within us today. In the name of Jesus, amen.